Hey, it's Stephen Henderson. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk with Mike Rogers, a former U.S. congressman from here in southeast Michigan, who has announced that he would like to be the Republican nominee next year to replace U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. Mike, great to have you here. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, thank you for having me. It's great, great to be here. Yeah. So uh, I start all of these uh, conversations in the same way. Tell me why you are running to get the Republican nomination for Senate next year and why you think voters ought to support you. So I, uh, my wife and I were having coffee about a year ago, looked up from the paper and said, man, everything seems broken. Washington seems broken. Lansing seems broken. Uh, we are trying to choke each other out politically. We argued, you know, sometimes you have a capability, you have a responsibility to do something about it. Uh, and when you look at the right, tr- right track, wrong track, there's a good reason for that. And families in Michigan are hurting. And so I'm the one person that you can send back to, to, to the United States Senate, represent Michigan and Michigan voters and Michigan values, on the very first day, I kind of know how the place works. I've been in business for the last seven years. All of that experience with all of the turmoil in the world, uh, when we talk about inflation and price of goods, uh, is something I can get to work on right away. So we've been uh, around the state talking to folks uh, about uh, high grocery prices and gas prices and household good prices, some $700 a month increase since Biden's took office. Uh, and they want to change. And I'm the perfect person to send back to, to affect that change uh, right away. No on the job training. Uh, so let's talk then about uh, more specifically the pillars of your campaign. What things would you like to see the U.S. Congress focused on if uh, if you're elected next year? So we we have to reform the way the government operates. It's too big. It's too bloated. We can't continue to borrow money that we don't have uh, and spend it and uh, continue to uh, cause these inflationary increases in people's paycheck. It's eating people's paycheck. So we first thing we have to do is kind of reform the government. You can't have 10 people operating a copy machine anymore back in Washington, D.C. And the average price and why this is important, the average price of a federal employee in 2022 went over $100,000 each inside the Beltway. And that that represents about 20 Michiganders on average uh, sending their average federal income tax payment in. So you have to ask yourself, is 20 Michiganders paying federal income tax worth one federal employee in Washington, D.C.? I don't get too many people raise their hands. So we just have to restructure the way uh, we operate. Good news is uh, I have done that before. When I was chairman of the Intelligence Committee at the height of the Iraq and uh, Afghanistan conflicts, I was able to cut $7.5 billion dollars out of a $78 billion budget. Uh, Not easy, uh, but we didn't cut bone, we didn't cut muscle, but man, there are ways that we can change the way the government spends money uh, to to the benefit of taxpayers. And so that's gotta be really important because that's the one thing that we can do early that will impact the price of gasoline, the price of goods, the price of groceries in your home. And so that's gonna be very important. That's gonna be top of line. Obviously the uh, international and national security issues rank up there. I'm a former FBI agent, uh, worked uh, on the streets of Chicago fighting organized crime and human traffickers and drug traffickers. 
Uh, I understand what how the federal government can play a more important role here in Michigan. Have the Police Officers Association of Michigan endorsement for that reason. I've been out and talked to a bunch of them. We have some plans that we'll hopefully announce in the, in the next few weeks on exactly how we are going uh, to help as the federal government help our local law enforcement. We're 5,000 officers short in the state of Michigan. We have eight of the top 50 violent crime cities in America. Think of that. In our, by population, uh, in our state of Michigan, we can do something about that. Um, and we're, we're, we'll have some concrete plans for that. We have to secure the border. We have 1.7 million people came across. We don't know who they are. Uh, with the FBI director yesterday saying, hey, Hamas is now one of the most important uh, terrorist threats we have inside the United States. You cannot continue to not know the people and the goods coming across that border. Fentanyl killed about 3,000 Michigan citizens. We have got to put a stop to that. There, There is just no reason for this. We can uh, turn that around. We can do it around, uh, turn it around pretty quickly. And, then, you know, we're also on education. So we have a, we're in a competition with China. Communist China is moving out. They mm-hmm. think that they're going to dominate economies around the world, including ours. They're teaching their eighth graders quantum mechanics. Uh, we are, uh, we can't read in the United States. 57% of high school seniors last year couldn't read at the sixth grade level. That is, we are failing this generation of children. Uh, we can turn that around. We can help at the federal level turn that around. We can also help welfare recipients go on reading reclamation programs so that they can get off of welfare. Same with prisoners on early release. You want to get out early? You have to go through a reading reclamation program. Most prisoners are reading uh, at the fourth grade level. We must change that trajectory if we're going to compete with China. The list is long. Hmm. Uh, but I uh, I can get started on day one to get at yeah, the Yeah, so, so uh, you mentioned the size of government and the spending, uh, the overspending that we see in Washington. And I, I, I always ask Republicans when they bring that up about the tax cuts that they themselves have proposed and passed. $10 trillion is the cost of the tax cuts that Donald Trump uh, pushed through in the early days of his uh, presidency. And of course, the sell is always that this will get the economy going and it'll uh, it'll grow business and things like that. But it never seems to actually pay for itself. And when you look at the growth of the deficit and the debt over the time that Donald Trump was in office, it's reflective of that policy standpoint. Uh, is, is that a better place to focus than some of the things that you're talking about? No, I don't think it is. I mean, you should, they should, I wish they had uh, applied some, um, some spending discipline along with those, that tax relief. Listen, it, it, one thing about the Donald Trump time, when you look at the, the economy, the lowest unemployment for Hispanics and, and African-Americans, we had really low unemployment. Your 401k was bigger. The economy was booming. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of economic engine to that. that came to a screeching halt toward the end of it. Uh, and that's where all of that spending came in on the, the pandemic spending. And they never looked at offsets. And I think that was probably a mistake. But priming the pump, you cannot make it hard. Remember, the small businesses, the vast majority of companies in the United States are small businesses. And those are passed through. So when you just talk about taxes in, a, in kind of a general way, you miss all of these small business owners that are just getting pummeled 
by, you know, and it makes it harder for them, A, to stay open, B, to hire people. All of the things that we want to have happen gets harder with complicated taxes and tax, uh, a tax code that I argue is well out of date. I, I would try to reform the tax code too, make it easier, flatter, fairer. I think would be good for everybody and good for the government. Uh, and then you got to put the government on a diet. And again, I don't buy this argument that we did, that nothing can be on the table. I was able to show that you could cut at the height of the conflict between Iraq and Afghanistan, almost 10% of the budget I was allocated. That's pretty significant. And my argument is every department, the Department of Defense, can go through this exercise and should. So, it's one of the largest so you would argue for tax cuts and commensurate uh, a belt tightening to, to, to prevent the 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 overspending but but 10 trillion dollars is a lot right i mean you you have to do a lot of cutting uh to to make up for uh, that kind of blowing that kind of hole in the revenue picture uh in washington i, I okay i, I want to move but on i mean i just think we're going to say that the tax cuts are going to uh expire in 2025 so you have to ask yourself are you ready to raise taxes on small businesses all across america mm-hmm. that are already struggling to come back I just, are you I well? well the other question, absolutely not. But and the we other need question, to reform the way government spends money. But the I flip mean, side of that question. So Brookings projects that it would be another three trillion dollars to extend those those cuts. So I mean, the the flip side of that question is: Are you willing to blow that kind of hole in the budget? And I, I hear what you're saying about trying to cut, but you're talking about trillions of dollars. Uh, I, I don't know how you would find that kind of money. Okay, I do want to. One thing you do though, you talked about that in a static form. If these companies had relief, they can hire more people. More people means more taxes. I, I, so I disagree that this right. is a static number. You can you can cut taxes and then that's a static number. You want that economic engine kicked in. And look what happened when we stifled it. I mean, it has caused problems in the economy. This is why people are hurting. This is why they're paying more at the grocery store. This is why they're upset. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I want to talk about uh, Donald Trump. You have said that the prosecution of the former president on 91 state and federal felony charges in four jurisdictions is a politically motivated DOG, DOJ waging war against the leading Republican presidential candidate. I want to start here. If a court were to convict Donald Trump on any of these charges, would you stand by him or would you stand by the fact that uh, he was convicted? You know, I'm, I'm, we're, we're, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But I will tell you this. I have talked to a lot of senior FBI officials that I have a lot of respect for who have retired recently who say the politicization of the Department of Justice is breathtaking and it was discouraging enough for them to go find something else to do. That's a problem. And my argument on all of this is that perception in many times is reality. Uh, And what we've done is created the environment where about half of Americans now no longer have faith in the Department of Justice as an even-handed organization that was only looking for criminal activity and not politicized in a way that it certainly appears today. That is a massive problem. Remember, as a young FBI agent, you're on your own a lot, mm-hmm. and you show up at doors a lot by yourself, and you flip up those credentials. If people have lost respect for those credentials, it makes the job of an FBI agent so much more difficult. And we have such challenges in trying to dismantle the the uh, the uh, drug cartels in the South that are pushing up drugs that we know are killing our kids. I mean, you think about all the big challenges. Hamas now is running around the country 
as a terrorist organization. I want our FBI and DOJ focused on those problems. So, so they just had the largest bust, by the way, in in Massachusetts, um, of uh, where they were lacing candy uh, with with uh, narcotics, uh, clearly to try to get kids, and it was a huge, massive operation. Um, and this is a problem when you talk about fentanyl in that way. Uh, it's highly addictive, very dangerous, causes death. Let's focus on the things we know will make neighborhoods so safe. So are you, are you saying, though, that, that the evidence that we've seen so far in these prosecutions and potential prosecutions is just not worth the DOJ's time? I mean, are you saying that there's nothing to the things that the DOJ and state prosecutors have said that Donald Trump has, has done? Listen, I'm saying that it is uh, likely. Um, when, so, listen, I, I'm running for this, the uh, United States Senate in the state of Michigan. I focused a lot on that. But I talked to a lot of people who are afraid of the perception of what's happening. And by the way, including people who work for the Department of Justice, right? That ought to scare everybody. It sure scares me because we cannot lose the efficacy of these organizations. I, I, I guess I focus, don't disagree with that. On that. My focus will be on I that. don't disagree with that. But but I think you can you can hold that idea at the same time that you say that the specifics here, especially with regard to what happened on January 6th and in the aftermath of the election, are so, so surprising and so shocking that how could a prosecutor not look at this? You're a former FBI agent. If you saw behavior like this, wouldn't it get your attention? You know, not, I've, I've answered the question. Let's let's move on. That's your opinion. That's, <laughs> well, I think well, I'm trying again, to get I've your just opinion. Told you, I've just yeah. told you how people feel and how people have expressed themselves, including former members of the Department of Justice. Okay. That's a problem. And if there's a perception problem, that is a problem. Okay. And so I think that's if you want to have good faith in these organizations, you've got to remove that, uh, that perception problem. I think that's, that is obviously uh, something we all ought to be concerned about. Okay. Uh, let, let's talk about the field here. Uh, there are other Republican candidates who say they should be the Republican nominee for Senate next year. Peter Meyer is one. Uh, James Craig is another. What makes Mike Rogers a better choice for voters than the two of them? Well, we've been out uh, for the last oh, about eight weeks talking uh, from, uh, you know, up Houghton in the north to uh, all the way down to the to the uh, downriver area. And we're getting quite a bit of excitement. They want somebody who can walk in, be an adult in the room on the very first day they get there and understand that these are pressures on families that are crushing them. I'm certainly that guy. My law enforcement experience uh, people are ready, I think, for a fo- refocus of the Department of Justice on criminal activity that we know is killing our kids. Uh, and the notion that uh, we have to we, we are in a competition with China and we have to do everything we can to make every business in America competitive. Number one, and every child that graduates competitive in the sense that they have to know reading, writing and arithmetic, <laughs> which they certainly don't do today. And that combination is uh, has allowed me to uh, we are probably going to uh, hit our 30,000 signature mark within nine weeks, which is just unprecedented. Yeah, Nobody's ever really been able fast. to do that. Yeah. Pardon? That's really fast. Yeah, It, it is fast. And but you know why? Because we just had so many people around the state call us and say, we're in. We want to help. How do we do this? 
And so that's the uh, inspiration that we take every day because these are long and brutal campaigns. We're not going to focus on the other candidates. We're focused on, on a solutions-oriented campaign on things that matter in people's lives. Okay, uh, Mike Rogers, former U.S. congressman, now candidate for the Republican nomination for Senate next year here in Michigan. Uh, great to see you back on the political scene and uh, great to have you here. Uh, on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. And podcast editing is by David Lyons. Our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET in Detroit, and you can support the show by leaving a rating or a comment. Thanks for listening.